Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the hope of the world. Lord, we are excited to come into this place and to hear about you and to sing to you. And so we pray that we would leave this place changed. And Lord, we thank you that this day, this every day, is about you. In your name we pray. Amen. We, as I mentioned, have begun December, December 2nd today. If you're on the countdown, 23 more days till Christmas. I'm not sure where you guys are at in your Christmas present shopping, but we are pretty much almost done. It's pretty amazing. You think we moved? We had three birthdays in September, October. We had an anniversary. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. So it's that time of year, and this time of year we think of presents, and we start to hope for, for certain things. And so this got me thinking about when I was a kid and the hopes that I had around Christmas. I can remember being that in-between age, that tween is what they call it age, that 11, 12, 13. I don't know, I can't remember the exact age. But what I do remember is I was going through the natural changes, I guess you can say, that a, a teenager goes through. I sweat for no reason. My legs began to form their own winter coats for all the year. And at this time, I began to care what I looked like. I began to care what I smelled like. I remember looking at the opposite gender and thinking, they no longer have cuties. They are the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> and so, how do I get one to like me? How do I do this? We're probably, what, three months here? I've been here now, three months into this relationship, I guess you can say. And around this time, naturally, you would uh, bring your girlfriend to your parents' house, and they'd start to you know, sh talk to your parents, see some pictures and things like that. So I'm going to let you in on what 11, 12, 13-year-old Jeremy looked like. If you want to take a picture, go ahead. If you want to laugh, it's okay. This is what I looked like. I uh, know. That blonde is not natural. <laughs> that blonde is a bleach blonde dye, which was probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Those red spots aren't dots that I've placed on them from the quality of the picture. They are... There's it, so let's be honest. So. <laughs> so the first step was to dress better. Wear clothes that were cool that would make my face more attractive than it actually was. <laughs> so I needed Nike. I needed guest clothes. I needed Aeropostale, American Eagle, Abercrombie and Fitch. And I also needed the muscles that those guys had in the pictures. But obviously they didn't sell those, so I had to deal with the clothes. <laughs> so Christmas was coming around the corner. And I would mentioned to my parents, Mom, Dad, we need to have a serious talk. I would really like some clothes for Christmas. Like, I'd really like some clothes. It was probably more passive. Like, yeah, I'd really like some clothes for Christmas because they would ask you that. Obviously, they didn't realize the physical turmoil that was happening within my body. And what, <laughs> and what I was really wanting was everything I got that Christmas to be clothes. Everything. I wanted it all to be clothes. I will never, ever forget what happened that Christmas. 
came. I actually forgot. In my pocket, my jacket pocket is a is a is a prop. I almost lost one of my parents that Christmas. Because present, after present, after present that I opened, I got these football figures. <laughs> I love these. This would make eight-year-old, nine-year-old Jeremy very, very happy. 11, 12, 13-year-old Jeremy did not want to play with these anymore. But all I got was these toys. All I got was toys and toys for Christmas. This wasn't going to help me with my search for my lifelong companion. This wasn't going to happen, helping that, this wasn't happening. Wow. This wasn't helping that face. Hey, I couldn't go up to a girl. Hey, I think you're cute. Do you want to come over and play football figures later? I tried it. It didn't work. I got like 13 rejections. It wasn't happening. This was not good for Jeremy. And I had this great deal of hope, though. Hope. It's just a word that we smear across this season. Hope. Like we all do around this time. And this is where we first begin in December. This is where we first begin. This is the first candle. This is what we first talk about hope. Because it really, out of everything else, joy, love, peace, there's hope that it starts with. And this Christmas time, it's the word you're going to hear so much. Hope. Hope. There is this belief that the spirit of Christmas will bring out the best in people. And it does. It does sometimes. But we see it in our movies. We see it in Scrooge. Scrooge's heart, it changes. We see George Bailey in The Wonderful Life. He turns his life around. The Grinch, he returns Christmas. Praise the Lord. Rudolph, he gets to fly the sleigh. And of course, John McClane, Bruce Willis, single-handedly takes out a group of terrorists and die hard with a single gun. <laughs> Obviously, this is not a Christmas movie. I'm not sure why people think it is. And so we think this is what Christmas is about, obviously. Amazing things happening. People's hearts changing. And there really is. There's hope that happens in this time. Hope. And so we see Christmas start early now. And we're like, obviously it's starting early because the businesses, they want to make their money. But the businesses can't, they have to, we have to be behind something in order for them to put something forward. And so we love Christmas. And so we want to start early, we want the season to happen early. And so we see ads come out early. And that, that triggers us, that makes us excited. They play off our emotions. And so at Christmas, there is this belief amongst everybody that we see that their hope, things they're, they're hoping for, will come true. We live for hope. I'll even go as far to say this. It is impossible to live without hope. Impossible. We're going to go turn to our reading in Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. I'd like to thank Dan and Stephanie for reading that. But we're going to turn there in your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, we have it up on the screen here. And it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. 
But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, and a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here is the context of what is happening in this verse. I think we, all, we need context in what's happening before we can continue to move forward. And context gives us what Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story. There is this dominant force in this scripture, in Isaiah, that's rising in the Middle East by the name of Assyria. All the nations of the Middle East were getting really uptight about Assyria's rise to power. They weren't liking it. They were getting nervous about how strong they were becoming. So what did they do? They, so they form an alliance together. That's what they want to do. We want to form an alliance to make a, our army stronger. So they wanted Jerusalem's king on it, a guy by the name of King Ahaz. But Ahaz did not want to do it out of pure, he had, he had personality clash with the people that was happening. So there was, there was drama that was happening. I think I have a picture of maybe drama is my middle name. This was Israel's, this was their title. Drama was going down. Ahaz did not like the other guys that they're trying to form alliance with. So the other nations then, what did they do? Well, they threatened to invade Jerusalem and put a new guy in power instead of Ahaz. So the army start putting together plans to make this happen. And Ahaz, he's, he's having a panic attack. He is nervous. He's like, oh my goodness, they're coming after me. What do I do? At that time, the king of Assyria comes. Now, the opposing force that's trying to come over and take over the Middle East comes to Ahaz. He's like, I'll offer you protection if you join forces with us, the Assyrians. And he has, he has no clue what to do. He has no clue what to do. He's, he's confused. So then God sends a messenger, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, to help him. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to him and tells him this. Don't worry about alliances. I will protect you. Which should be reassuring, right? Isaiah should be, or Ahaz should be like, oh, that makes me feel so good right now. Thank you. But evidently, Isaiah could tell by Ahaz's expression that he was still worried. And so he said to Ahaz, he said this, Don't worry, Ahaz. God will give you a miraculous sign to prove he'll protect you if you trust him. Now you'd think Ahaz would be excited about this. He's 
messenger sent by God to me. He said he's going to, don't worry. And he said he's going to give me a miraculous sign. This is amazing. I feel so good right now. But instead, he's like this. A.S. says this. No, no, don't do that. It's like, what? Because evidently he thinks this. If God gives me a sign, then I'll have to obey him. So Isaiah says to him, you don't want a sign because you'll be obligated to obey. Well, God's going to give you one anyway. Here's your sign. So if we turn to Isaiah 7.14, if not, like I said, it's up here. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means this, God with us. And this was a crazy idea when they probably heard this. They'll call him Emmanuel, God with us, because this is what they think. This is the reality of what they live in. God can't be with us. We will burn up and die. Only the priest could go into the holies of holies, where the ark was. He was the only one. And you know what they did? They would tie a rope around his ankle. And if he, the holiest of holies, if God's presence was too much, he would die. And so then they would pull him out. They would have heard the story of Moses. I just want to see you. I just want a glimpse of you, your glory. God puts him in the cleft of the rock. He's covered. He walks by and only catches a glimpse of the back. And it's way too much for him. Emmanuel, God with us, a radical idea to them. You're sending me, Emmanuel? He's coming? And this should have bring Ahaz much, much hope, much hope. That someone was coming, was going to be with them. Someone was going to be with them forever. So here's the deal. Here's what happens. Ahaz ends up rejecting all the advice and signs, joins an alliance with Assyria, which backfires. Later, and as they come, they come against him down the road. Obviously, it backfired. Ahaz starts going crazy. He's offering up sacrifices to all other kinds of gods and idols of all nations, hoping, hoping, he's just hoping now, praying that one of them will come to his rescue. When it's all said and done, Jerusalem's king, Ahaz, leads the people back into idolatry and eventually back into the exile. You see, in the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words that are translated as hope. The first is yakel. I know you're impressed by how I said that. Yakel, it sounds kind of cool. Which you can say it too, yakel. Yakel, no, anybody? Yakel, okay, it's not happening. We can continue on. Which means simply this. Yakel means to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood water recedes, Noah had to yakel for weeks. Wait for weeks. Hope for weeks that the water was going to recede. The other Hebrew word is kava, which means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. And so when you pull a kav tight, you proceed with a state of tension until there's release. So it's like this rubber band. Right? Sometimes we feel this when we're hoping, right? 
We can relate to this. We're hoping for something in our life. If we feel the tension of the situation. You're waiting for this to snap, I know. We feel this until there's a release. That's kava. The feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. And we feel that in our situations now. We're hoping. We're hoping. We feel the tension. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yakel for morning dew to give moisture to the land. They're hoping for that. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. And we see this through them. They're all waiting. They're waiting for the prophet or for the Messiah. In the period of Israel prophets, as the nations was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said this, At this moment the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope of God himself. So what does this story tell you? First, so this is a message of hope. A message of hope. Israel is telling Ahaz, someone is coming. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to form allies with Israel. Even though the enemy is Syria is breathing down your neck. Don't be afraid. What happens? Ahaz, he fails them. This happens to the people of God over and over again in their history. We see in the Old Testament. Sometimes the people of God weren't always easy, though. We see it in other kings. Saul. Israel wanted a king like everyone else. In 1 Samuel 8, they end up getting Saul, which turns into not very good. David, man after God's own heart, yes, but a murderer, an adulterer. And Ahaz, he just can't make a decision. He just freezes right up. But here's what Isaiah does. He does this. He points the people to a king that will never, ever fail. A better king, a true king, a king that will rule his people with great love, affection, counsel. He would rule rightly. He would be the king that Israel and all of humanity had been waiting and longing for. The one, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, almighty God. This king would come, and he would come in Matthew chapter 1, 21 to 23. And in it, it says this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the, God, the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When we look back at this verse in Isaiah, we don't see God do what he does sometimes in the Old Testament. Sometimes we see him in the Old Testament. He, he, you know, he splits the sea to rescue the people. No, Israel is very outnumbered. Thousands are coming against them. Somehow they win. But Isaiah gives them actually exactly what they need. A promise that God was coming. A promise that he was going to be there. 
a promise that they needed, a promise that it would not always be like this, a promise that this will be fixed. So this prophecy helped them in their problem. First, in sending Jesus, God was dealing with the big problem, the problem at its root. Sometimes we want God to take out some things, but God likes to deal with what's at the, at the root. Because our, our problems are much deeper than merely an enemy army arrayed against us or health issues or related, relational conflicts or economic needs. The root of all of our problems is this, a separation from God. And Isaiah was telling, I'm, God is coming to look after our biggest problem. He's coming to look after our biggest problem, which is a separation from him. And he's sending Jesus. So this is big because it's shown in our biggest need, our biggest need, separation from God, he came through. So if he has come through in the area where we need him the most, we can have hope that he is working through our situations right now. And this rings true for us. This was a hard message for me to prepare. Not because I don't have the hope of Christ, because we have a home in Eston. Our renter, is, they're leaving here in a couple weeks. We, we don't know what we're going to do with it. We have put it up for rent. We haven't had someone to buy it. And I hope, knowing that he's in control, because I can look back on the first promise that he came through where I needed him the most. He sent his son for us. My biggest problem he looked after. So the guarantee is now I can look back and see that he's going to look after all the problems in front of me. Because hope gives us exactly what we need. Hope gives us exactly what we need. Another thing we see about hope is hope brings light to the darkness. We hear a lot of phrases about light that bring hope, right? When someone's going through something, they will say that they're waiting for that, what, that light at the end of the tunnel. They're waiting to see the end. They're waiting for the, just that end to come. I remember once I was... Uh, I was working at a retirement resort. It was up on the hill. I lived in the valley, uh, and it rained all day, all day. And I spent most of the day at this retirement resort. I was a maintenance guy, fixing leaks and stuff like that. I think I worked like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I think it was around September, October this time. In the valley, right, there's creeks that run through, and there's actually a river that's really close to where I lived. And so it had rained so much, it started to flood where I lived. And so I'm trying to get home, and I barely had gas in my tank. And so I'm like, I'm going to go down the hill, and I think I, once I get down, I can make this right. I heard that the creek's flooded, but I think I can come up around it and then make my way home. My way home. It wasn't a great idea. Make my way down the hill. Make this right. Pitch black, this road. And I'm just driving, and all of a sudden, I felt like I had hit the bottom of a water slide. Water flowing out from the side of my vehicles and all of a sudden coming inside of my vehicle. And here I am, knee-deep in my vehicle in water, sitting. So I get out, and I had a cell phone, flip phone. I know, they're cool. Flipped it open. And then trying to call my dad. 
I get to him. I'm like, I'm here. Can you come get me? He's like, I'll try to come get you. And it took him two and a half hours to come get me. And so here I am, just in this dark road, just waiting for him to come, waiting for him to come. I actually, I saw this tow truck. He came, and I'm like, oh, sweet. And he's like, oh, do you need pulled out? I'm like, yeah, I really do. Look at my vehicle. And he's like, okay, 50 bucks. I'm like, what? What are you talking about, 50 bucks? You can't do a good deed. He's out here obviously trying to make money and you know, he's out of business. But I'm here freezing. It got to the point where I was about to call 911. There's my, wa- my phone looks like it's got, it looks like a half cup full kind of thing. The water is halfway in the screen. And here comes my, the lights of my dad's vehicle. When I was losing hope, there was hope. We look in this verse in Isaiah, and he states that the darkness will see a great light. One of the first indications of Christmas is lights, right? Light up night last night. I can sit on my couch, and I can see the lights on people's houses. And it's very appropriate, because December 25th, right, around this time, it's starting to get really dark early. But they're not just decorative. They actually are symbolic. Christmas contains many spiritual truths, but it will be hard to grasp the others unless we grasp this one first. That is, the world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless we find or unless we see the light. In Isaiah chapter 8, 19 to 22, they were getting very distressed. People were consulting mediums, They're consulting magicians instead of God. They were afraid. It says they're distressed and hungry. They will roam the land. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. What is going on here? They're looking toward the earth and to human resources to fix the world. They're looking for hope. They're looking for light. One of my favorite things about reading the Bible is how it connects. As we read Matthew chapter 2, we come alongside these magi who have to come, they want to find the king of the Jews because they saw a star. They saw a light. They knew about the prophecy. There's many people who say the magi, they could be described as possibly wanderers, or maybe they're the three wise, like the wise men, magicians, etc., But I connect with the Magi. Because here they are, lost people looking for hope, looking for the light. And as they walked their life, they were encountered with the light. They needed to find this star. The King of Kings, the Messiah. This is just like who I am. I needed to find the light. I needed to be encountered by the light. In Isaiah, we see people coming to the magicians for the answer. At the Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, people are coming to the magicians for the answer. They're coming. But in Matthew, we see the magi, the magicians, following the light for the answer. Jesus came to light up this world. He said that he is the way, the truth, and the light. What he is saying is that he is the way, the truth, and the light. And the hope. Light equals hope in this time. Darkness equals this world, as we read in the Bible. 
In John 1, 9, it says, it says that the true light that gives light to everyone is coming to the world. What it's saying is he is the true hope that gives hope to everyone. When we feel like we are in darkness, and sometimes we might feel like that now, maybe we're going, we are going through things, we're all going through things. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. We have the light of the world. He has come, and we can look towards him to shine in our hopelessness, in our darkness. And the last thing is that hope, as we see in Matthew 1, 21-23, is that hope has a name. There is this hunger for hope, as we described in the beginning. This real we, there are need for hope. We see the food drives that take place, the giving that takes place, which is amazing, which is a sign of God's heart. It's what he called us to do. It's amazing. But a lot of people think hope's name is, is Christmas. Or it's maybe they put their hope in a person that they know outside of Christ. When hope was described in the Old Testament, we described it as what? To wait. Waiting for. There's something coming. There is anticipation and expectation attached to that hope. There was, we're waiting. We are kavah. The tension was building. But the word for hope in the New Testament is this. Elpis. And it is based on a person. We see hope described by Paul as this trust. That we can trust in the Lord. That his promises are true. And that he comes through in his promises. So you have waited. Now you can trust. You see, my hope that Christmas to getting close was actually optimism. I was very optimistic. I was really hoping. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. Hope isn't optimism. It is a person. In Hebrews 6.19 it says, Our hope is certain. It is something for the soul to hold on to. It is strong and secure. So if we are going through something, we can celebrate the answer, even though we do not know what the answer will be. But we know our hope is in Jesus, and he is hope. He has proved himself as the one we can trust, the one we can look to, the one that we can believe in. And Isaiah described our hope as this, as everlasting father. So if you're going through something right now, You have a father who promises to never leave you, never forsake you. He will always be there. A father who is never absent. He hears you when you cry. And just like he was there for the people of Israel and promised to send a savior, he promises that your cries will not fall on deaf ears. The everlasting father, our hope. And Isaiah described our hope as wonderful counselor. So if you feel hopeless, he's there. The word wonderful means beyond description. Beyond description. We cannot describe how wonderful he is. And the word counselor means God, the ultimate guide. He is the best, the one that we can trust. You can bring him the worst of your problems, and he will get you through it because he solved the first problem, the one that separated us entirely from him. 
In Hebrews, it says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted like we are and is without sin. We can trust this counselor. Isaiah described our hope as the prince of peace. He stepped in as the ruler of the world. and He will bring his kingdom of peace to you. If you are feeling restless, distressed, worried, the prince has come and will bring you a peace that passes all understanding. He is a prince, a ruler. He will rule peace over you. And then finally, it described him as our almighty God. He is the great I am. In scripture it says, there are the great I am statements. I am the provider. I am righteousness. I am your defender. I am healer. He is everything to us. He is everything that we need. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus, the great I am. What Christian hope looks back to is, is the risen Jesus in order that we can look forward so we can look back to him, knowing that we can look forward. Because we can see where he came through. His batting average is 1,000. His shooting percentage is perfect. He has never thrown an incomplete pass or an interception. His track record proves himself as the person that we can place our hope in. And hope, it leads us somewhere. And we need hope to experience peace, joy, and love. And now the hope, the hope of Jesus that came in that manger leads us to the cross.